So you can probably, many of you can probably relate to this, but um, pre-COVID, you remember pre-COVID when you could go to the swimming pool and actually like get into the water and splash around? There was a day, okay, when, when, when we could do that. And back in those days, um, I'd, I'd stand in the pool and I'd hold my hands out to my unnamed toddler, okay? And I'd say, unnamed toddler, jump to me. Jump! Because they're, they're standing on the edge of the pool and they're scared, right? They think there's just unplumbed depths below them and they're going to die. And I said, jump to me and I'll catch you and I'll keep you safe. Trust me, jump. And they stay firmly planted on the side of the pool. So I assure them again, daddy's right here. I'll catch you. Jump. I won't let anything happen to you, okay? Do you trust me? Do you trust daddy? Yes, yes, I trust you. How do I know whether that child really trusts me? By what happens next, right? If they stay planted on the side of the pool and don't jump to me, they don't really trust me, okay? Because I have assured them I will not let anything happen to you. Uh, They said they trust me, but their life doesn't back it up. On the other hand, you've got some that just exhibit absolute trust and jump and just about take you out because they've jumped so vigorously, right? And they exhibit that trust by their action. They say something and then they back it up with their life. James, uh, this is wrong in your handout, I apologize. James, it's actually James chapter 2, verse 18. Listen to this. Someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. There's an interesting thing where we all need to be aware of the, just in the midst of life, in the midst of our days, the possibility of giving lip service to a truth. Of saying, yes, I believe that to God, to others, And yet not backing it up with our lives, with our words, with our actions, with our choices, with our responses. Of of really saying like, look, I have faith, but it's not demonstrated with my works. And it's like my kids saying, yes, I trust you, but then I'd have to like reach out and drag them into the pool, you know, to get them to actually back it up. Whereas if they say they trust and then they jump, then I know, yes, that, that fleshes itself out in life and in responses and in choices. And so there is, there is a possibility that we all face in the midst of life of giving, giving a kind of a token hat tip to a truth or to doctrine, uh, to something that God says, and yet not fleshing it out, not living it out. So this morning, we're going to consider a truth that we should all ascribe to, Okay, and this is actually going to go into the next few weeks also, which is the sovereignty or providence of God. And we're going to consider that. We're going to take a few minutes to examine whether we're just giving lip service to that truth or if we actually walk the walk and don't just talk the talk. Specifically, we're going to be considering the doctrine of God's sovereignty and uh, in part, okay, just, just, we're just going to consider a slice of it, how it informs our response to government and its authority in life. I think this is fairly relevant to us. We've had quite the year 
of government and politicians and politics. We've had coronavirus and we've had all the responses and the decisions and the debates. We've had unprecedented elections, contesting of elections and and, uh, unique, shall we say, debates and the public forum and all those types of things. We've had riots. We've had impeachments, plural, right? But does the truth of God inform our responses to these things? Or does God's word just sort of go out the window and, and, we, and we just sort of respond according to our, our whims and our fancies and our preferences and our desires and our feelings and emotions? And I would argue that I think God's word absolutely not only informs but actually should define our responses to, the, to this situation and to these types of things. So let's consider... Um, First off, some basic facts about sovereignty, okay? Ground rule about sovereignty. Again, this might be familiar, this might be new, okay? But either way, I hope it's going to be thought-provoking and soul-stirring as far as your own thought and consideration in response to life. First basic fact is this. God is in control of all. And yes, This is one of those rare situations where all actually means all and is not contextually limited by something else. All means all in this context. God is in control of all, big and small, both directly and indirectly. Um, I'm not going to have you turn to all the passages that are in the handout because that is going to end up eating up too much time. So I'll have you turn to some of them, but others I'm just going to read for you. And you'll have them written down so you can go and take a look at them again later if you want. But Ephesians 1.11 says that we have been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will. That's a broad statement, an unlimited statement. God works all things after the counsel of his will. That's a big idea. Daniel 4.35 says... All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? This is also a big statement, a big truth. Not only the earth, but the heavens. Nobody can ward off God's hand. Nobody can say to God, ha, You wanted to do that, but you can't because look at what I've done. I've thwarted you. Nobody can do that. Okay? We see this in the small areas of life as well. This is what Jesus teaches when he's he's speaking to the disciples and he's talking about the sparrows, right, and the flowers. And he's saying, "Look look at God clothes the flowers. God knows the lives of the sparrows. And then he talks about the hairs of the head and all that kind of stuff. And it's, just, it's the little details in life. All the way even down to the roll of the dice. Proverbs sixteen thirty three: The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision. How that dice lands, every decision is from the Lord. Okay? Big, giant categories of life. Itty-bitty situations. God is sovereign over it all, okay? And more specifically, the next idea is that God sovereignly directs even the words and actions of men, okay? And this is where it starts to get a little bit more uncomfortable sometimes because 
First off, some people are uncomfortable with God being sovereign over, uh, over just the happenings of life, okay? Because then you end up having to talk about, well, what about the bad things that happen? We're going to get there very briefly. But when we start talking about God's sovereignty over men, you start getting into some heated ideas. But here, let's look at what, uh, what God's word has to say, okay? And, and what God's word would have us understand is that God sovereignly directs even the words and actions of men. Okay? Look at uh, just think about Exodus, the Exodus story in Exodus 9:12 when when the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had spoken to, to Moses. See, Pharaoh is described as having hardened his heart. Okay? So Pharaoh was doing this, but then the Lord is acting upon Pharaoh to harden his heart also. Okay, God is sovereignly moving upon a man to influence and affect his heart so that he then responds in a certain way. And we may or may not like it, but that is what God's word presents. All right, now why? Well, earlier in Exodus chapter 7, God gives the reason for that. He says, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Okay, this is even before he starts to give the, um, the, the plagues and stuff like that. He says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my, ho- bring out my hosts, my people, the sons of Israel, from the land of Egypt by great judgments. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. God's saying... I have a glorious purpose in mind. And to achieve that purpose, I'm going to sovereignly affect the Pharaoh of Egypt, one of the most powerful men in the world. God says, this is what you're going to do. And he does it. Okay? Ezra 1, we see a very similar situation in Ezra 1, 1, when, um, when Cyrus is moved upon by God to send the Israelites back and Mm, to the day, according to the prophecy of God, in terms of when, the, when the, the Jews would be let go from their captivity, to the day God moves in, the, in really who is the sovereign monarch of the world at that point in time and says, let them go. He lets them go. God is sovereign over the words and actions of men. Not just the, 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 the actions, but also the words in 2 Samuel 16, 9, if you, if you remember the, the story of David and how at one point one of his sons tries to overthrow King David, okay? David has to flee from Jerusalem. And along the, the, the way, as he's fleeing from Jerusalem, some guy walks out and he starts slinging curses and, and, and saying bad stuff about David and how he's getting his comeuppance and you deserve this and fooey on you and rah, rah, you know. And, and so some of David's wonderful commanders, you know, like, hey, Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said to the king, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? We can solve this. Let me go over now and cut off his head. But listen, listen to David's response. The king said, what have I to do with you, O sons of Zeruiah? If he curses, and if the Lord has told him, curse David, then who shall say, why have you done so? David's recognizing that God is sovereign over the words and actions of men. Okay, 
Some try to say that God's sovereign over nature, you know, but not over, not over men because that, that inhibits our free will. But we want our worldview to not just be influenced, but to be defined by biblical truth. Okay, and God's sovereignty over even the hearts of men is definitive truth. Now, that does not mean, though, that, that God is culpable for our sin. Okay, God is not culpable for our sin. Man is culpable for his choices. And we willingly make those choices according to our nature. Okay, think about James chapter 1 and how it talks about how uh, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. Okay, for God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself tempts no one. But then it goes into how each one is tempted when he's led astray by his various lusts and da 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 Because it's in our hearts, okay. So God is not culpable for our sin and yet he is sovereign over us. Wayne Grudem says, in light of the breadth of biblical teaching, he says that it's appropriate to affirm that God causes all things to happen, but that he does so in such a way that that he somehow upholds our ability to make willing, responsible choices, choices that have real and eternal results and for which we are held accountable. Okay, let's let's flip flip with me to Acts chapter 2. This is a good one to put your eyes on. We're going to see this fleshed out a little bit. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 22. Peter's giving his first sermon at the day of Pentecost, and everybody's coming up and saying, what are you guys, drunk? And he's giving a response to that. And Peter says this in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene. A man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Okay, so this is all God's sovereign plan. This is all God's sovereign work. Yet you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. God's plan, God's work, your action. So what about it? Well, look at verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So now they, they have the one, the one uh, option of just kind of saying, hey, great, it was God's plan. So obviously we were just doing what God said. So no biggie for us, right? No, their response in verse 37 is when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and rightly said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter does not say, hey, it was all God's sovereign plan, so you're abdicated of all your responsibility. No, Peter says, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Okay, God's plan, God's work, and yet man's choice man's action, man's responsibility. That's about as far as I can explain it, (laughs) okay? But that's the biblical truth that we see. God's sovereignty does not, like, somehow turn us into robots, and yet our ability to um, to be willing beings falls perfectly under the sovereignty of God. So with those general statements about the sovereignty of God said... We're going to look at some, um, 
I put them in, in terms of if statements, okay? Because these are truths that, that, that define our worldview and response. So it's kind of like me saying to my, my toddler, if you trust me, then jump off the side of the pool to me. Okay? If these statements are true, then, then they are going to inform, define, and, and, and set the course for our responses in life. So here's, because it's not biblically enough for these truths just to influence our worldview. They must define it. And we, brothers, sisters, have to be very careful about adding the B-U-T word. I know that God says this, but. I know God promises this, but. Okay, we don't want to do that. We want to have, I know God says this, so. I know God promises, therefore. Does that make sense? So these are definitive statements that should define our worldview and our response in the midst of life. So the first one is this. If God is sovereign over both good and evil. If God is sovereign over both good and evil, and then there's going to be some then statements to come. But this first one is this definitive truth that God is sovereign over both good and evil. I need to back that up before we go further. Isaiah 45, verse 7, God's own words. He proclaims, I am the Lord, and there is no other. I am the one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these. You see the, the, the spectrum that he's saying? Well-being, calamity, so it's the generic word for, for evil, okay? God is taking responsibility for the spectrum of life and saying, I'm sovereign. Okay, Lamentations 3, 37 to 38, the prophet is overlooking the absolute rubble of the destruction of Jerusalem. Talk about calamity, death, kidnapping, uh, exile, destruction of God's own temple and this is part of what he says who is there who speaks and it comes to pass unless the Lord has commanded it is it not from the mouth of the most high that both good and ill go forth I mean picture that you're looking at the Kansas, you're, 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 well, there's no hills around, but if there was a hill around, you could look at the rubble of Kansas City. This is what he was doing. Smoke everywhere, flames probably still burning. Maybe just the very ends of the wagon train as, as, as the, the exiles are carried off. And saying, is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and ill go forth? See, we like to think about how God is sovereign in bringing about the good and pleasant in our lives. It's kind of like the football players, you know, they score a touchdown and they're like, yeah, yeah, right? You know, but, but, but what, about, what about when you drop the pass? Yes, yes. 
God is still sovereign and still in control and still bringing about his perfect will through those details, even in the midst of calamity, even in the midst of destruction, even in the midst of disease, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of financial loss, you name it. Okay? If it's in the, the, the gamut of life, God is sovereign, both good and evil. And we like to think, though, about how God's sovereign and bring about the good and the pleasant and the blessing in our lives, but it's, it's less easy to wrap our minds around the fact that God is also sovereign over the bad. He's also sovereign over the evil. He's sovereign over Job's issues. You want to talk about a hard time, put yourself in Job's boots. And yet God said, yes, go, do that. And this can be difficult because of the weakness, I think, of our own human thinking and our own misconceptions about even how things ought to be. The weakness of our own priorities, the weakness of our own desires, my own desires and, and, and thoughts. And there's not time to go through all the ramifications of denying the truth of this statement. Some, some try to say that God is sovereign over good but not over evil and that he just sort of responds to evil. And yet in that case, you, you don't have a sovereign God. You don't have a God you can trust in because then when you encounter those difficult times, you can, you can, you can legitimately say, where is God? You've lost me. I'm spinning, I'm spinning out of control and I'm spinning out of, out of your hand. And what a horrendous place to be. But the biblical truth is that God is sovereign overall. He's never caught off guard, even by Satan's very attacks on his people. Wayne Grudem says, Scripture nowhere shows God as directly doing anything evil, but rather as bringing about evil deeds through the willing actions of moral creatures. Okay? The next truth, though, is that this. God is sovereign over governments unto his own end to raise up and to tear down. Period. Think about the Assyrians. What did he do? He said, okay, I'm going to raise you up. You're my hornet. You're coming from that far land. You're going to come and you're going to wreak havoc. And then when I'm done with you, I'm going to punish you for the evil that you've done. God's sovereign plan, he raises up a nation to carry out his sovereign plan, and then he brings it down. Babylon, same thing. Okay? Hence the, uh, the writing on the wall. Many, many take a, a person and, and boom, and new king and boom. God's plan. Never outside of God's control. Always according to his purpose. Always according to his plan. Think of, think of, I mean, unless you think that the Bible is full of fables, you have to land here. Think of Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? As Daniel talks to him, right? And he's got that dream. And Daniel says, look, you're, you're proud. You need to recognize that God, God is the one from whom all authority comes. And so God's going to go ahead and just humble you a little bit. And he spends the next, what is it, I think seven years grazing grass like a cow. And his hair becomes like eagle's feathers. And his hands, uh, fingernails become like claws. And, and then in God's timing, he's healed and he's reinstated. And he's learned a good lesson. <laughs> God reigns. Okay? 
Daniel 2, verse 20 to 21 says, It is God, it is He who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and He establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. All right, so God is sovereign over governments unto His own end, both to raise up and to tear down. He's also, we need to be aware that God's sovereign goal, okay, God's sovereign goal. And this is, this, is the, this is kind of the complementary truth because if God, if God was only sovereign, you could be pretty unnerved by that. You know, if he was like some whimsical, um, uh, according to his just sort of whim of the moment, I think I'm going to have this kind of control. <laughs> you know, but if you take God's absolute sovereignty and you couple it with this, that God's sovereign goal is his glory and our good, Oh my, what a wonderful truth. What a truth that no matter what happens, whether it's blessing or calamity, whether it's pleasantness or whether it's extreme hardship, we can rest on that. I don't want a God who is not sovereign over my hard times. Because then I, I don't know that he's going to work everything out for his glory and for my good. But our God does and is. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 28 says, When all things, and this is looking forward, but this is all God moving his plan forward. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him. So that God may be all in all. God is ultimately working everything out for his own glory. And that's okay. It's okay for God to be focused on his glory. We see him working things out according to his plan, his purpose. You see Joseph's response in Genesis 50 verse 20, right? I mean, talk about a guy who's willing to, to look back on life and to see God's sovereignty, um, you can look there another time, but, but think about our own lives. Romans 8, 28, and man, this is in Hobby Lobby all over the place, but so often is just kind of relegated to the status of a, of a cliche or a platitude, right? Oh, we know that God is working all things according to, you know, who, who, to his own good pleasure for those who are called according to, yeah, it's great. But Stop. And think about that. When you're, in a, when you're in a situation that's difficult, when you're in a situation that you don't understand, when you're in a situation that is just squeezing you and saying, what truth is inside of you? Ask yourself, do I believe that God is in control and he's working this out? This what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, what I'm experiencing, what this person said, what this person has done, what the, all of that, okay? We know, it's a great word, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Wonderful statement. I think sometimes I deny it with my life. I think sometimes I deny it with my words, with my responses. I think probably all of us fall into that. But it's, it's a truth to remember and a truth to anchor yourself on. Myra mentioned last week there's a book uh, by J.I. Packer, How Long, O Lord, out in the book nook that we've recommended. And, and it's really true. Jerry Bridges' book, Trusting God, 
is, is very much the same way. These are truths that we have to ingrain and impress and, and ask the Lord to drive deep into our hearts ahead of time. It's not necessarily the time to start trying to fix our thinking when we're in a difficulty, but we're trying to fortify our faith and build up our understanding in such a way so that when those, those difficult waves of trial and temptation and hardship come and start knocking on the, the walls of our lives, our walls are strong and firm. Okay? So, check the book out. But this is one of those things. We have to bask in the truth that God causes all things to work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We have to bask in that and marinate in that to such a way that when we're squeezed by life, that's the juice that comes out. Okay? Another truth. God's sovereignty plays out according to his timeline. Remember, these are all ifs. Because we're going to ask ourselves, so if God's sovereignty plays out according to his timeline, then what? So this is the truth, though, that God's sovereignty plays out according to his timeline. I have my timeline, okay? You have your timelines. I know you do. They're not necessarily God's timeline. And God's work plays out according to his timeline. 2 Peter 3.8 says, Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years. That's a pretty different timeline. Because to me, a minute feels like a thousand years sometimes. You know that. that but 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 God is God is so vast in his in his awareness and in his in his existence and in his grasp of time and in his intention and in his will that it's just absolutely unrelatable to us. I think about the the story of Naomi. You know how she went and she lost her husband. And she took her two um, sons, her, her, her sons and, and then the daughters-in-law, and they were in the, the other land, and, and then her, her son-in-laws, uh, no, sorry, her sons died. She had no idea what God was doing in the midst of that. Her timeline was, Lord, what are you doing? Call me bitter, right? And yet, even at the end, think about this, even at the end, when she, when she had a, a, a grandson, okay, as it were, she didn't know the full ramifications of that. All she knew was God was gracious and gave her a, a grandbaby. And yet the writer of Scripture puts that little just ending phrase in there about the, the lineage and how God was working through Naomi's hardship and difficulty to bring about the Davidic king, which ultimately is going to be the messianic line. Naomi had no idea. No idea. And we don't either. We don't know what God is going to do, and we don't know when he's going to do it. And his timeline, he's thinking, he's thinking thousands of years, he's thinking generations, he's thinking minutes, he's thinking seconds. It's not just all about long, long time. But the point is he works according to his timeline. And we often have no idea what that is. So the question is, what truth are we going to entrench ourselves in as we're in the midst of whatever circumstance we're finding ourselves all right, so those are some of the if statements. Here's, here's some of the then statements. That if, 
if those are biblical truths, and hopefully you've seen that they are, then here are our proper responses. And here's, here's me stepping on our, our collective air hoses just a little bit. Okay, ready? Go. Failing to respond in these types of ways is a practical denial of faith in those truths. Just like my child, not jumping to me in the pool, says, ah, Daddy, I said I trust you, but I don't really trust you because I think the water is more dangerous than you are capable to save me from. Okay, so when we respond, and I'm, I'm not talking about you've lost your salvation, but I am saying our faith, our belief, okay, our assurance that these unseen things are true, faith, is, is either denied or it's manifested, affirmed by how we respond to the situations of life. So here's some of the then statements. We've talked about all the ifs. So then regarding especially government, here are some of the then statements. We need to participate in government as we're able, and yet we must know who appoints governing officials. All of them. We're, we're in kind of a weird country, a minority country, where we have a, a much more... Um, we have much more of an opportunity to actually like interact with government and to be part of the governmental process. And I think sometimes that that, that, um, that skews our thoughts regarding God's sovereignty. Okay, but, but the truth is we, we can interact and we can engage with the political process all we want no matter what God's people are in charge not God's people necessarily in the sense of like saved people, but God's choices, okay? If, if our preferred candidate wins, God did it. If our candidate loses, God did it. If our candidate wins um, by honest ways, God did it. If our candidate w- wins by dishonest ways, God did it. Ooh, sounds bad, doesn't it? God's sovereign, though. So look, I, I have no idea if the elections were rigged. I mean, you, you can find articles and articles on both sides of whatever and what have you, and okay, have your opinion. But you know what is the truth? Even if it was rigged, God worked his will. And we must not deny that truth with our response or with our lives. That is so hard. But that's the truth. Okay, and you can see that. You can see that. Oh, just, just read your Bible, okay? And you'll see that all over the Bible in terms of how people came to be the ruler of the various ways. They were not clean, honorable, above-board ways. And yet God said, that's my man. This is my man. I'm bringing you down. I'm bringing you up. And and God's just doing what he wants to do. Okay? So the truth is, we'll we'll participate in the government as we're able. And there may come a time in, in my lifetime, I don't know, where I can't participate. But God will still be in charge. And my life will not fall to pieces because I know who's in charge. And Lord willing, he'll give faith to my children 
so that when whatever life looks like in 30 years, when they're in my shoes, they will say, I know my sovereign God rules over all. Even that person, even that choice, even this, okay? So those are the truths, and that, this, is, this is one of the implications. See, we can, we can call out evil, okay? We can rebuke it. We can make it clear that such and such is evil and that such and such is, is, is ungodly, but we cannot act as if God's plans are being frustrated by the political climate that we see around us. This is not an oops, Our president is not an oops. Our city leadership is not an oops. What is happening is God's plan. My email is Aaron at MRBCKC.org. Go ahead and start typing out the, um, you know. See, the phrase God willing is not a cliche. That's why the writer, James, says, look, why are you making these plans to go here and do such and such? You need to say, if God wills, okay? It's a life-permeating affirmation of the sovereign providence of God that touches every aspect of life. And it should, including governments, and it should touch every aspect of our lives in a wonderfully solidifying, stabilizing, encouraging way, okay? But when we lose sight of that truth is when we start to feel like, 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 like that little teeny boat lost and, and, and tossed in the waves as opposed to, to, to just having the, the ginormous anchor of this truth holding our ship, our, our life ship stable in the midst of whatever is being thrown at us. All right, so we'll participate in government as able and yet we will know who appoints them. And we'll, we'll, we're going to talk more about this, but our, our social media posts, our, our words, our water cooler conversations will all, uh, will all reflect this. We are going to learn to wait on God's timing and work in society. See, we're, we are a people who have a very short view and a very myopic view. We're, we're looking at just, just this right here. Okay, this is my grasp of the world and its workings and desires and what I think should happen, and yet this is what's going on that God is at work in, all right? But we're also a culture of immediate gratification, and we're also a culture of worldly temporary priorities. And we're going to have a session on just what is, what is it when, when the, the truth of us being you know, uh, pilgrims, right, in a land that are passing through to our real home. We're going to talk about that. What does that actually mean as it presses into life? But we lean one way, and we lean towards, you know, my understanding, my timeline, my priorities, um, often running into conflict with what God seems to be doing. And so then we kind of just throw our own understanding up on top of God's, uh, God's will and say, Lord, <laughs> you've lost it, haven't you? Where are you going with all this? Carson says, we may get the balance of Scripture wrong because often we, we, we have a tendency to think, um, oh, such and such shouldn't happen. Such and such shouldn't be allowed to happen. Such and such, God couldn't possibly work through this 
kind of an environment. And yet, like Carson says, we may get the balance of Scripture wrong. We remember the wonderful triumphs of Joseph, Gideon, and David, and we meditate continuously on the miraculous healing of them, of the man born blind, or on the resurrection of Lazarus. Those are wonderful, great manifestations of God's power and His providence, right? But we are less inclined to think through the sufferings of Jeremiah. How about, how about God's sovereignty in, in calling Paul and saying, hey, Paul, I've got a ministry for you that I'm sovereign over, and it includes whippings and lashings and beatings and hatred and death. <laughs> Lord, you're not sovereign over that, are you? Yes, absolutely. The constant ailments of Timothy, the illness of Trophimus or the thorn in Paul's flesh. What about this? A righteous man like Naboth who perishes under trumped-up charges in 1 Kings 21. God's sovereign. Okay? And we can't, according to our timeline or our own thoughts of how things should work out, we little clay pots can't be yelling at the potter, um, you're missing this. Did you see what's happening over here? This is, this is not right. We can't do that. Because when we do that, we're denying these truths. Okay? We also have to trust that evil in governments will be held to account. We don't know when. It may or may not be in this life. Okay, there are, well, yeah, we, we don't have time to talk about examples, but God doesn't forget evil. And God is the perfect and just judge who will deliver justice for wrong and evil that's done. Habakkuk struggled with that question. He said, Lord, how could you use this people, this evil people, to come and to, and to, and to hurt your own people and to bring this consequence and punishment? And God basically says, look, I'm, I'm going to deal with them as well. And Habakkuk goes, okay. You know, in, 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 um, in Psalm 73, we see that, where the psalmist is wrestling with how, how the evil seems so prosperous and then he's reminded of God's ultimate justice and judgment and he's refreshed as to God's character and his ability to trust and to wait knowing that even if it's in eternity that, that, that there will be perfect justice met. So uh, accountability will be had. Here's, here's another thing. We, if those statements about God and his sovereignty are true, then we will avoid investing inappropriate hope in human leadership. There is too often... The thought that if we can, you know, only get such and such into office or if we can only get such and such a rule, you know, passed or a law passed and this, that, and the other, then life will be as it should be. But the problem is we're defining life as it should be in those situations according to what we want. And what we have to recognize is that our hope is not in what a man in office or a law being legislated, what those can accomplish. That's not where it is. Okay, and we can call out evil and we can try to have those things accomplished for the sake of, of, of living life in a way that honors the Lord, and that's great. But Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some boast, the better words may be trust, some boast or trust in chariots, okay, and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. And that's written in a psalm that's talking about a context of needing saving, needing deliverance. And they're saying, look, some trust in those. You know, put it in our terms. Some trust in money, some trust in politicians, some trust in laws, some trust in governments. But we need to trust in the name of the Lord our God because he is sovereign, absolutely and unequivocally 
over those things. And so when our responses to life and to governments deny that and say, oh, my, my life is falling apart because this person isn't in office or my life, I'm so discouraged and I'm so distressed because this law didn't get passed or whatever the case, you see the conflict in the two? Okay. A little bit on the flip side, if those things are true, then we must eagerly embrace, eagerly embrace God's commands in Scripture regarding government. And a couple of the ways that looks is this. We submit, except in areas of sin. Romans 13, 1 to 2, says every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities because you like them and because they do a good job. And because, oh, wait, no. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Check out 1 Peter 2, 13 to 17 sometime. We submit, except in areas of sin. Areas of sin does not equate to areas of disagreement. Areas of sin is specifically thinking of areas of if we obey the government, then we are disobeying God. So if we acknowledge God's sovereignty and his goodness and the fact that he's working all things for his glory and all things for our good, see, see how all those work together that really should make it then easier to eagerly submit to God's commands and how we relate to government? Here's the one that, that really poked me in the gut. One of the, one of the commands is to pray for those in government. If we really believe God is sovereign, and I, and I feel like smacking myself even as I say this, if we really believe that God is sovereign, then this prayer is our first and most effective means of influencing our government. Think about that. How often do we get in a tizzy and say, well, we need to form a petition. We need to form a change.org thing. We need to create a coalition. We need to stage a walk-in, a sit-in, a riot, a, I don't know, whatever. That's our first gut response, right? We gotta, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta. But if God is sovereign then the first and most effective and foremost response needs to be we pray. 1 Timothy 2.2 tells us how to pray because God does have a design for government and we should ask the Lord to mold our government into that design. We should be, we should be begging the Lord to make it so that our administration cares for the needy and cares for the babies and cares for all those things. We should be begging God. And I'm, I'm convicted about that. We should be begging God that he saves those people and gives them wisdom to administer and to govern as he designs. First Timothy 2.2 2 says so that the, 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 the end of that is to be able to live a quiet and godly life. Okay? But how often in my own life is my, is my belief in God's sovereignty kind of belied by the fact that when I see something I don't like, my first response is to get upset or maybe do a Facebook post or, you know, because that's going to change stuff, or whatever, and not just get on my knees and say, God, you are the king. You are the one who's in control. You are the one. 
Last thing, Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or become his counselor? Who's first given to him that has been paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.